0: if you really put your head towards something like it'll happen you know what i mean it'll work out if you truly mm-hmm. just grind and, and like throw all your eggs in one basket I, I really do especially if it's like something you're directly passionate about. like we said earlier it's really though if you just put your eggs in one basket like you're bound to like have a nice omelet somewhere along the line you know what i mean like <laughs>
1: Welcome back to where are all my friends? Damn it, I'm excited about this episode. It is with Brad Fry, who is the band Caminos' tour manager and shout out to our mutual friend nick for connecting us but before this we did not know each other and i realized that i really hadn't had a lot of tour managers if any on the podcast which is insane because i got my start in music as a tour manager and talking to him and hearing his story of how he got into it and what he's learned from it and his view on touring was amazing we also talk a lot about how somebody who's interested can get into touring so not only like a fun, rad, natural conversation, but also a very helpful one with a lot of insight and value. The last thing that I have to say is he also has a brand called All Is Well, and I'm timing the release of this episode around the release of a drop of his. So when this is coming out, there will be a drop of his coming out right around the same time, and we're gonna do a giveaway with one of those items. So if you're listening to this right now, Head over to the Instagram, I'll link it and follow it. And then share this episode on socials and tag us, and we'll pick somebody who shares and we'll give them a piece from that drop. So thank you for listening. Keep an eye out for that and enjoy. Where are all my friends? Brad Fry. And I have the feeling that this is gonna be a really fun one for a couple reasons. Uh, One, we have like a circle of mutual friends, like one degree of separation away. Uh, Massive shout out to Nick for putting us in touch, but I'm really excited to hear your story, Uh, tour managing band Camino, doing your own clothing line. I feel like there's a lot of really cool things that you're up to, and I just think that there's going to be some real fun bits in this. So thank you for joining. Yeah, man.
0: Thank you for having me
1: i'm excited yeah so i said it super briefly but for a listener who doesn't know who you are just a quick explanation of who you are and what you do cool
0: yeah uh my name is bradley fry um i live down in nashville tennessee originally from detroit michigan i currently am the full-time tour manager for the band camino um i also do a small bit of like e-commerce management um for like artists doing merchandising. And I also, in lieu of doing that, um, during pandemic, started my own like online retail shop. So kinda kinda all over the place honestly, dabbling around. But my main thing is I tour managed the band Camino.
1: They all kind of communicate with each each other and they all kind of cross over in a cool way. Um And it's also nice, man, like for both of us, it's the morning. We're both sipping on some coffee, just hanging out. And I don't know, man, like I, I just feel certain times like with this podcast, I really like to make it a utility and to like provide value. But I was thinking about this and very briefly saying it right before we started recording, but I don't think I've had a proper tour manager on the show. And that's, crazy to me because that was my og start in music and i think that there's going to be a lot of really fun parallels to talk about because i think correct me if i'm wrong but both of us almost accidentally got into it and then found it to be extremely fulfilling
0: yeah dude it was it was definitely like a stumble into the role for me i was in a band like most of us were at some point probably and then my band kind of like started to fall apart and i just knew other people that were doing bigger stuff and i was doing the common thing of like working in retail and i was like i can sell shirts over a counter i could probably sell shirts on the road so i toured as like a merch guy for two or three years in like the the funky festival market um yeah, and then once oh yeah, i kind of like got my bearings and that uh started reaching out to like bands that were more genre specific to what i was interested in and Just kind of domino snowball effect, like toured with one band, met another band, toured with them. I mean, you know how it goes, but yeah, eventually just kind of like graduated into tour management and that's what I've been doing for the past like
1: six years. Wow. Yo, okay, so other funny parallel that is an interesting thing with tour managers that I've noticed is... I feel like you have two starts to becoming a tour manager and they're very different lanes and both TMs are equally as good and respected, but you can be the starting as merch guy TM or you can be the starting as front of house tm
0: yeah yeah dude it's both right it's both those like two very important roles that like as soon as unless you're like super passionate about front of house which mad respect to anybody that has those kind of production chops and stuff like that but yeah if you're like a 50 50 just kind of like i know business i know the world i know production kind of thing it's just like you kind of want to continue to step up into that role where like you're just overseeing things you know again no shade to front of house people but it's just like I feel like the merch background is super valuable because it's like if you can't handle numbers, then like you have no business being a tour manager, right? And it's like it's very important to be able to like conceptualize the 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 financial side of things.
1: Yeah. Well, it's such an interesting role because it's one of the most necessary roles on a tour. It's it's the the glue that holds it all together. But I think to be a great TM, you really need to understand how Every facet of tour works. You need to understand what all of the crew is doing, what all of the band is doing and what everybody needs. So if you understand the merch side, again, you very much understand the numbers. You understand how to report numbers, how to look at numbers, how to project, how to just do general business and commerce. And that is massively important. But then the other side is, and you kind of touched on it because you were in a band, But the other side of being a TM is like, ultimately, you're making sure that a band sounds good and feels good every night. Mm -hmm. So they put on the best performance. And if a band sounds bad, they're going to hate it. Like, there's nothing worse than like not being able to hear yourself on stage or sounding bad over the PA, anything like that. So that's why I think it's such an interesting role is you have to understand that whole picture to make sure that the whole crew is equipped to do what they need to do so everything keeps going. So. Yeah, which is especially
0: like a, a, a vision that like it's tough to grasp. Like it's like not a lot of people understand it. You know, it took it took my parents, even this is such a common cliche thing in the touring world. Like it took my parents and like family members or anybody for that matter that's like not in the music industry so long to understand what exactly I was doing as a tour manager. Whereas like I think about if, I had stayed a merch manager and like I had mad pictures on my Instagram of me just vending and being around t-shirts the whole time. They'd be like, Oh yeah, he sells t-shirts on tour. Or like if I was at a console, every picture or something like that, they'd be like, Oh, he does the audio. But it's just like so many people are like, What do you do? Like you you write the contracts? And I'm like, No, I'm not a booking agent. I don't, (laughs) I don't manage the band. I'm like kind of right in between the two of them. So
1: Yeah, Yeah. it is. It's a really interesting role to explain to people who don't get it because it's like for a second, you're like, wait, so what do you do? And you're like everything, but nothing. And like, (laughs) no day is the same. Like you never know. Like you're there to, to solve every problem. You're there to make chaos normal. Like every day, every venue is going to be a little bit different. You're going to have all these new unique problems. So it's like, as long as the show goes perfect your job is done and some days that's real easy and other days you're literally pulling skills out of a hat that you didn't know you had solving problems that you didn't know existed yeah. fixing trailers and buses yeah. and anything like whatever it takes to keep the show going so it's a very interesting role to define yeah man thank
0: you so for recognizing i guess that.
1: <laughs> oh my god absolutely i mean like that was my og start as well so i, I feel it i really do and The larger, I think some roles get easier as the band grows. You know, like if you're a tech and you're on an arena tour, I don't want to say that it's like a walk in the park, but I mean like you know you have a tons of room to set up, you've got a good professional staff, you have like a lot of resources to make your job easier. Whereas if you're a tech on a club tour in a van, you're probably having to like set up in the back in like maybe an alley or something. You know, like there's a lot of like weird variables and Sometimes jobs are easier at a higher level. But I think as a TM, as it continues to grow, you have more and more logistics and the stakes are higher. So it's like, totally. it's really a behind the scenes job that deserves all of the respect. But before we get deeper in the weeds with that, because there is a lot that I want to talk about mm-hmm. there. And I think that like, because I think people listening to this could learn a lot. And for me and yourself, I think we both kind of realize like, oh, shit, this is actually a really fulfilling, cool career but it wasn't until later. So if we can shine light on that, awesome. But I'm actually really interested in you because I feel like you have this cool story. You have some really cool interests and you have a pretty rad general mentality on things. So like, what are your early days? You said you're from Detroit. Like, did you find music early? Like, what were you into? How did you get to now? Yeah,
0: um, I like definitely found music very early. just kind of dove into like skate punk culture at a pretty young age. I I tell a lot of people, not a lot of people, this is what I tell. Like I literally found the green day dookie CD and I was like, this fucking rips. I want to do everything that is involved with this, you know? And so just kind of became this little hard nosed punk from the suburbs. And, uh, it's funny. I like grew up playing guitar. My, my uncle, was like a huge Hendrix fan and he has like a studio in his basement he's a dentist but he's always been like a huge guitar nerd and so it was like you know Christmas holidays or Christmas dinners whatever holiday dinners I would just like hole up in his basement just playing guitar for hours on end while everybody else is upstairs doing whatever and so yeah just kind of like gained this huge passion for like rock and roll and specifically guitar and going to shows once I became of age and all that kind of stuff but I never played in a band until after college. So went to college, got an undergrad degree for clinical exercise science, and I was on my way to uh, chiropractic school, actually. And I was like, no shit. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. It's it's honestly so wild. Like I have two older brothers that are in the medical field. And I was like, very much so just kind of, I don't want to say like, in the blueprint but very much so just kind of like following in the footsteps of like what i knew was the safe route in life and and that kind of thing and which is not totally. a bad thing to do like i'm you know i advocate being passionate and like taking risks but at the same time it's like you know like if you want to go be a chiropractor and make 150 grand 100 grand a year like you're gonna have a nice life, like it's sick. But
1: um Yeah, don't force being like if you're not passionate about something yeah. and like you're just like, Yeah, cool, like here's a safe route with something that I could do that would be very acceptable, yeah. like run it. Exactly. Something that I think about <laughs> that's so like out of the blue. But I think that people joining the military when they don't wanna oh, like, when they don't know what they want to do isn't like that's such an <sighs> interesting, like, because that's a check and that's education. Mm-hmm. But like i don't know man it's it's so there's so many routes of like that like it's like it's a safe trying to figure it out and if you
0: need like by all means like the military can become like a safe haven for somebody that needs it like for sure but if it's not like you know there's there's the difference of the people that like being in the army is like in their genealogy versus somebody that is like i don't have shit to do after high school i guess i'll join the army and it's just like that is such a risk if you don't know what you're getting into. But at the same time, it's yeah. like it can shape you for into a really great thing, you know, and, and yeah, into a great well, lifestyle like, or whatever. But it can yeah. also fucking ruin you. good Lord.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, that's that's just that's one of those ones where I've been like, that's an untraditional but safe mold. I remember one friend's brother did it. And like learned about like rockets and engineering and yeah. stuff. And I was like, oh, I didn't expect that. Yeah. And he has like a fucking sick career and a pension and all yeah. that. But like, anyway, There's, that's a sidebar. Yeah, right.
0: I was on my way to Cairo school and I was like writing this letter of acceptance of like why I wanted to be a chiropractor for the rest of my life. And I just like <laughs> couldn't finish the letter. Like I realized that I was just like lying to myself and I just like couldn't muster Holy up fuck. the honesty to like finish this letter and, and just go off and ship out to Oregon to be a chiropractor. And so I like called my dad and I was like, yo, I, uh, I don't think I'm going to go to chiro school anymore. This is literally like my final week of my last year of college. And I like, and he's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I think I just get, I'm going to try and do the music thing. Like literally those were my words. I was like, I'm going to try and do this music thing. Like, I just, I just need to do this music thing. I had no idea what it, what exactly it was. Like I had the desire to be on stage and like be in a, and then I just knew like from just kind of going to shows and starting to meet people in the industry that like touring was something I wanted to do but it was never yeah, the yeah. goal of like I want to be the best tour manager in the world which is like a goal right, now but, right. but it was never like it, that was, there was never like a specific goal to it but I just knew that like all right I got these guitars let's start with that
1: and so well what's interesting there though is like you didn't have the traditional path of like some people feel that like they get dookie or they get that album that changes them and it's all in and college isn't even a fucking option. Like they're like, I don't care. I'll drop out of high school. I'm going on tour. So it's interesting that you like found that and it, it resonated so heavily with you, but you still did do a bit of the formal education. And then at that point in your life where it was like that far along that you were like, no, 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 it's the music thing. I find that very interesting.
0: Yeah, I think like, I think I just like have a great respect for, you know, education. And I think it's a, you know, I mean, looking back on it or seeing other people's stories, it is like a formal education can be something that is like demeaning and disruptive towards your passion for sure. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's, there's not much that can go wrong with receiving a formal education and it's something to fall back on. And even while I was doing it, it wasn't necessarily a fallback plan. It was just like, I'm going to go do this thing. I know like to become an adult or like a successful adult that like having a degree will be helpful. So let me just go get this. And like, it's not that I wasn't passionate about athletic training and physical therapy and stuff like that. Like I was at the end of the day, man, like I look at, I look back on it and I'm like, dude, I just went to school for five years to learn how to live as long as possible. I literally just learned how to like be healthy and take care of yourself. You know what I mean? And like
1: Yo, at the end of the fuck. day, I'm like
0: stoked on that too. Like to have that that and I was like an athlete in college too. So it was just it all kind of like I was still following like this path that I did have. Yeah. But yeah, I kind of just yeah. snapped back to not snapped back to, but snapped into this reality that was like, nah man, like I love music and I love that culture and I love being around it in it and I want to try and be as close to it as possible And here we are like jumping around jumping around the world and and doing arena shows you know yeah
1: well I love hearing stories like that too because I think that that moment is so fucking scary like it is so fucking scary to be honest with yourself and be like oh shit I guess I'm gonna chase this passion instead of the safe route and a huge part of this podcast is I love to share stories of people who have taken that leap and done it and succeeded because there is so much blind faith that comes with that to get there. It's insane. So you make that leap. What happens next? Like what? So like, all right, not going to chiropractic, like you're not doing that route. Yeah. Uh, Where are you in the world? Like what's your next move?
0: Yeah. So I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I had like, six or five months left in my lease downtown so my first like job out of college just like a little short-term thing until my lease end was i worked in a hardwood flooring company with uh a college friend's father i was like hey i'm gonna be here for a couple months and just like don't want to go home yet can i pick up some work and so we were like tripping back and forth to chicago and and a hardwood flooring and like these giant like lake michigan mansions and stuff and so started doing that initially moved home got a job at a skate shop started playing a bunch more guitar and just trying to like just trying to write music and mess around with people around town and the local scene that like i knew were doing it and so i got picked up yeah. by this one band that was a kid from high school um that had been doing it since high school. And like, lo and behold, they needed a guitarist. So I joined that band. This band was called Drawn to Fury. And I played with them for like, I don't know, six, nine months, less than a year kind of thing. And yeah. um in working in the skate shop where literally that was that was just my hub, dude. I worked at 12 Oaks Mall yep. and was just like like i this is so funny man i was just cleaning out my like closet the other day and i found all the old show flyers that i used to like pass out over the skate counter but i i I like lived at this skate shop and met so many freaking people through it one of those people is my boy carter jones who ended up uh him and i ended up starting a band together so we started this band and we had our own thing and we did it for like four or five years um and then it kind of started to like uh like fizzle out and we all kind of just started going in different ways my bassist started touring as a front of house guy i started touring as a merch guy and our drummer went to college and carter was in chicago and all this stuff but um yeah yeah it was like doing shows with them and then oh this is yeah this is kind of like how it transitions there is this band called gates i don't know if you've ever heard of gates they're from new jersey they were an early pure noise post-rock band um but the vocalist okay. from gates kevin die is the older brother of my best friend sorry that's like a crazy network <laughs> there i'm following
1: i'm following but
0: um you know as soon as i started playing shows i was just like sending him demos and all this kind of stuff because he was like the closest person that i knew that was doing anything yeah. in a larger capacity And at the time they were like yep. internationally touring and stuff and i was like yo like Tell me everything you know and da da and yeah.
1: whatever, whatever. It's also there's a moment where like when you know the the one band that got signed or has yeah. a deal on a label that you would fuck with, like. All of a sudden, like, you're just like, whoa, like, if this person I know did it, then like, maybe I can. And like, how do I like, how do I tap them and learn what they know? Or like, how, what was the formula? What did you do? Exactly. Yeah.
0: And so I hit him up and I, you know, we we would correspond whenever he was in town. And eventually he was like, yeah, man, if you ever want to go on tour, let me know. And I was like, okay, sure. I'm still kind of doing this, this thing. So I still want to be able to like do my band. And then I was out at a festival with another local band that had like a local time slot on this, this Michigan festival. And they just like took me as like a crew guy or whatever. I, I went for a free ticket so I could go watch Foxing and Andrew WK. Let's be real. Um, Fuck yeah. yeah. And uh, I like walked in and this guy was like setting up the, the merch tent for the festival. And I like went to go drop off Narco's merch and... I was like, hey, man, here's like our merch for the day. And he was like, cool, thanks. And like, he was like, kind of up to his ears in it at the point. And it was like two hours before Doors. And I was like, hey, well, like, I don't really have anything to do. Like, if you need help, let me like, let me know. I can help you do something. I'm just kind of farting around until Doors. He's like, no, nah, man, it's all good. I go away. I come back like an hour and a half later. And he's got like 40 boxes of Andrew WK merch, like the tent's not up yet. And I'm like, do you need some help? And he's like, yeah, honestly, if you just want to start counting these boxes, like that would be a huge help so long story short i end up like selling merch with him for the whole day um and he's like if you want to yeah. do this like i can help i can probably get you paid and i was like yeah like i said i sell shirts over the counter i can sell shirts in a tent whatever and um, there it is i i get like my first paycheck for like selling merch we're connecting we're this we're that and he's like hey man like actually i tour managed this band joe hurtler and the rainbow seekers we're doing our second full u.s tour like next month and we don't have a merch guy do you want to go And I was like, "Yeah, whatever." And so I literally like quit my job of four years where I like had benefits and had security. Your skate shop. Yeah, yeah. I just like quit the job and went on tour. And literally, like, quit the job, went on tour three weeks later, and
1: trotted around the country
0: with Joe Hurtler and the Rainbow Seekers. And I toured with them for like a minute, dude. I toured with them for a very long time, like four or five years um the first two years as their merch guy and then the latter three years as their tour manager and like main dude and then uh um, and then yeah it was like after like three or four years of touring with them probably let's say three years of touring with them was when i was like hey like kind of good at this my band is kind of falling apart let me like tap back into like These other bands or these other people that I've met along the way. And I just started freelancing. Did Joe Hurtler. And then I finally got to go out with Gates and then did a tour with Gates. And on that tour, I met this band, Microwave. And then I went out with Microwave for like two or three years. And then from Microwave, I met the band Camino um, and started with the band Camino in 2018 and uh had some other like random ones in there went out with covet for a tour and yeah just like started freelancing after that it was just like i i guess i do this now
1: <laughs> like <laughs> i can't believe we had never met dude like the things that you just said there like everything <laughs> is like one point of separation away dude, so it would nuts. not
0: surprise me if we've been in the same room together that kind of like that's, that's honestly just how it is you know what i mean but honestly we'll have to but you said
1: something there. God. That was so fucking important. Yeah. You had you, like you you did the thing where you committed to doing the music thing. Mm-hmm. You were working at the skate shop, playing in bands, and then you took a pretty big blind leap of faith and quit to go on tour. Yeah. And I think that that is such a pivotal moment. And I'm curious your thoughts, because in some ways you were doing it by like having a job, being able to play music. And then something in you made you quit that all to go sell merch instead of playing. And that's when everything like really started going. Yeah, yeah. So like what? Like, let's talk about that moment because that's such a huge pivotal moment. Do you think that it has to be? Do you think somebody who's listening to this and interested in going full time tour like Do you think you need that moment, that full leap of faith moment of getting out of the hometown scene and just fucking getting on any random tour, doing any position or like that's just such an important part of that? What do you think?
0: Yeah, man. I mean, I think there's definitely different ways to go about it. But that is one of the ways that like if you really put your head towards something like it'll happen you know what i mean it'll work out if you truly mm. just grind and and like throw all your eggs in one basket i, r- I really do especially if it's like something you're directly passionate with. like we said earlier it's really though if you just put your eggs in one basket like you're bound to like have a nice omelet somewhere along the line you know what i mean like <laughs> that's, yeah that's my cliche i just made up but like yeah i mean like yo i fuck with that it's funny i mean i, I now, over the years, I've met so many people that like have never done the van tours, have never like put eight people in a hotel room and stuff like that. And I'm like, cool, good on you. But like, you missed a hell of an experience. And like, for me, it was, it was never about like making a shit ton of money. It really wasn't until I realized that like I could make money off of it. And I was like, oh, like this could be a sustainable lifestyle for me if I continue to like progress and do this as well as I'm supposedly doing it. You know, this can be a career. Yeah. It wasn't until then yeah. that I was like, holy shit, like this is my career. But yeah, I mean, I I think at some point you do have to just like dive in, dude, like it's it's with anything. You just have to commit to those 10,000 hours of mastery at some point. You really it, it's just a commitment thing. That's really all it is.
1: I so heavily agree with that. And that's it's just cool. Like I think that in the beginning of that commitment, it's fucking scary because Yo, you're dude. at our, you're at hour 0 or I don't know, yeah. hour 100. Yeah. And you're like, oh, fuck, like, am I doing this? But if you don't do that, if you don't quit that job and just go all in on that thing, I think that there's a world where you get stuck in that limbo of kind of doing that.
0: Yeah, thing. that's very true. That That is very true. I think for me, it was just like, it was always a dream. You know what I mean? So like, I mean, the first tour was so exciting. This, all the tours, they're still yeah. exciting. But like, I just like, I'll look back at pictures from that very first tour and I just see like the childish, like happiness, like of like, Holy shit. I'm out
1: here in
0: Utah. Like, look at this crazy world, you know? And it's just like, it's just, it's something that I would never trade, dude. It's, I would, I would never like give that back for any amount of money for any amount of like stability or whatever. Like it's, I, I was broke for a long ass time, but like, not really that broke anymore. And like, I've been around the world, you know, before the age of 30. But you said it, dude.
1: It's it's not money. Like, yeah, cool. That's great that you can make that a viable thing. But it's like, it's the people and the experiences. And I hear that in your voice. And I hear that in your story is like, (laughs) it didn't start as like, here's the blueprint to get fucking paid. It was just like, I get to go to all these places with my friends Mm -hmm. and like do this cool shit. Like it comes from a very genuine. I was just
0: like eager to learn too, you know, because I had done like the local band stuff for so long and felt like that I was felt like I was like making good waves with my our project in you know Metro Detroit and like it was cool to like have that platform and do that whole thing, which you know was a dream. I was like playing little punk gigs and house shows and like people liked our band. And then I was just like, "How do I get my band to the next level, or how do I get me at least to the next level?" Like, I see there is bigger things that I could do, and I'm gonna doing that. I just want to get closer and closer to the sun and hope I don't go fucking blind, right? But like, um, yeah, I just you know, it's crazy. It it is a crazy thing to look back on it and now just be like, "Oh yeah, I just finished an arena tour where we, not we, you know, we were direct support for Dan and Shay, but like, sold almost half a million tickets." You know, like it's like that's yeah. fucking nuts. yeah. That's
1: real. That's fucking real. Literally that's far, far from people. local bands. So. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah.
1: What do you think in that transition? Like, as you look at it now, and as like at one point you were on that side of being in the local band on the outside looking in. What were some of the lessons that you learned, or some like? Are there certain moments or pivotal experiences or lessons that you learned? that now you look back on and like aha moments of leveling up? Like did you have any of those? Like your first tours where you're like, holy shit, like if only I had known this. Or maybe that's too vague of a question.
0: Um, no, not really. It's not a vague question by any means. There are definitely things that I have like adapted to and understood of like, oh, this is a great way to get things done, you know? Um, and I think a lot of them come more from just, just the, the fact of like being driven but that guy who I did merch with, Evan Myers, the very first, you know, he used to tour manager and the Rainbow Now he's out with um, Hippocampus, but he's who I like learned a bunch of stuff from. And he used to always say, just fucking work hard, be nice. And like, I think mm-hmm. in the touring world, that is such an underlying thing. I think there is a lot of like dick swinging and like old head hierarchy shit that kind of goes through that industry. But I yeah. feel like yeah. the, 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 the like more modern, aspect is like yo we're all in this together and like there's no reason to be a dick you know and unfortunately from the business side of things maybe you have to be a dick to get that deal done or whatever but in in reality like there are ways to get those deals done and ways to like get the job done for that matter by just like fucking gritting your teeth and smiling and, and like being a good person you know nobody wants to work with a dickhead right so that yeah, was, that's definitely dude. one. And then the other one is just like kind of still resol- revolves around that exact same situation, um, of just like doing the things that need to be done. Right. Of just like, if you see that trash is full, like just take it out, you know, don't ask questions. Don't ask whose it mm-hmm. is. Don't ask why to a certain extent. I, I, I look at yeah. that now and I'm like, yeah, I'm not cleaning up after you kids anymore. But like that's right. one of those things but where it's like, if you see somebody struggling, you help that person right and like that's kind of what it is and it's like you know as a tour manager i now like i understand a great bit of lighting because i've had to help my ld so much i understand way more about audio than i ever thought i would because i'm not not only do i have to but it's just like you know when i see my crew needing help i step in and it's just like you do the things that need to get done to get the job done and make everything easier for everyone and it's just like that whole collective consciousness of just like Again, we're all in this together.
1: I I love, like, you just said that so well. And it's like, those are very, very simple principles. Mm -hmm. And I could imagine somebody listening to this who maybe hasn't gone out on that proper tour yet and they feel like they're in that local thing. And it's like, wait, so all I have to do is be nice and it'll get better. And it's like, no, 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 it's not (laughs) quite that. But like, I think that it is this extremely simple principle of no matter how far in a career you get, just having the work ethic of yeah. not being above shit yeah. and just treating people like people and always doing what it takes to get x project done that never ever goes away yeah. and it is like oddly funny how simple that is and how much that really communicates to anyone at any level yeah for sure another thing i was saying diana my producer and editor mm-hmm. she's like just now starting to tour okay and like van days and We were talking about like, I think in those days, it's really easy for it to feel like it's not a job and nobody's working and everyone's just like dicking around and like, I don't know, drinking in a van or like doing like whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think that those days are really important days to differentiate and like not get caught up in the distractions. Yeah. Like it can feel so amateur and it can feel just like chaotic and really easy to be like, oh, well, if no one else is working, I don't have to work. But if you're at that level and you don't get distracted by those things and you keep your head down and focus and like if you're out on the road to take photos or shoot video – like when everybody else is like partying or something like that and you're editing that translates and then you transcend and like you go to that next level where other people can get stuck in that. Yeah.
0: That is a definite. It's like, if somebody's paying you to do a job, you better do that job
1: for sure. Yeah. Um, Cause I think that's a thing that like, if you're not, if, if you're not familiar with tour, like the, the fun of it, you can get lost in the fun of it and forget that there are jobs to be done. Yeah. And that's like, I think, especially on the crew side, the people that don't last are the ones that want to live the fun life, but then kind of put the work life on the back half. Yeah,
0: And, and there is, I, I agree 100%, but I also think that like, there has to be a balance, dude. Like, if you're yeah. in a band and it's like, you're out, here doing 30 shows in 37 days across the country, like, that's not fun, dude. Did you sign up to do that? Like, that's not fun at all. That's not healthy is what it is. It's not healthy. It's not a sustainable way to tour. And it's like, I think one thing to remember is like to balance it and like, remember that this can be fun and like, make it fun. Like you can, you can get paid to have fun, right? Like you hire booking agents and you hire managers to work for you. You know what I mean? And it's like, whoa, which is like, it's a thing that like, once I started getting into this Camino stuff and like finally getting onto buses and stuff like that. And like realizing how much nicer it is to sleep at night. and like, I'm like, God, man, like this is awesome. We don't have to drive. I specifically don't have to drive eight hours or, you know, 60 hours every week, whatever it might be. And it's just like, I feel like they're just like a, a way to make touring like sustainable and, and mentally healthy is so necessary. And like, yeah. I get it. Like you can't pay your whole crew to have multiple days off a week. But at the same time, it's like know that like rest and like slowing down is like a necessary thing to like get the job done. Right. It's like it's it's a wow. necessary thing. And I learned that after a couple of years, not that I was like burning myself out and partying every night. Like I had my fair share of fun. But I also realized that I was like, dude i can't drink like four beers a night every night like fuck that man i'm getting fat you know <laughs> like i'm breaking out yeah and shit.
1: yeah yeah like, yeah yeah
0: but it's just something to dude, remember that I, like you just yeah. like like the, the huge word is sustainability and it's it's a buzzword it can be used in so many different facets but you just have to think of the longevity of like what your intention and what your goal is and like health is a big one that that just like route a tour that like maybe don't do a full us do two halves you know what i mean like make it so that it is a little bit easier and you're not driving through an oklahoma snowstorm
1: i hear a lot of like pandeterminism in what you're saying is like you 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 kind of actually like checked my point and balanced it out very well Where it's like do the job, do the work, but also don't kill yourself mm-hmm. and be a good hang and have fun and like yeah. keep it loose. Because if you take it too seriously, then you're the person that takes it too seriously and burns out yeah. and over routes and overworks. Yeah, so, like, exactly. I think that there's a lot of validity in what you said. And I, I think you you expressed that well. <laughs> so, here you are. You very clearly leveled up. You're at this spot where you're doing arena tours. I loosely know Ban Camino. I know Jameson Moore and Johnny Moore, but. Yeah. Really, really respect these dudes. Feel like they're such a hardworking rad band making great music. They've got to be an an extremely fun group to tour with. (laughs) So now like at this spot, like uh, take a second. Like I want to hear you reflect like what's some of the most fun moments you've had now or like some experiences or like at this level, like what stands out? Because you were for so long on this outside looking in and like here you are. So like where are you like, fuck yeah, we just did that.
0: Yeah, dude, honestly I kind of got chills just thinking about it truthfully. But like the this is another like tearjerker kind of story like uh, this this was like the moment where I was like holy shit, dude. Like holy shit. Was um we when I when I first like stopped, when I first decided I wasn't going to go to Cairo school. I told my dad and they're like, well, you better have a plan. And I was like, yeah, yeah sure. I, I got, I got a plan. Don't worry about it. <laughs>
1: plan, yes. my, that. my, uh,
0: my middle brother, I honestly, I think it was both my brothers. We were in like a group chat or whatever, but <clears throat> they were just like, all right, man, do you, but like it's arenas or bust, you know that. Right. And I was like, yeah, fuck <laughs> yeah. So like, that was the, that was literally the first goal. Like the first goal was like, I'll know I've made it somewhere once I've done arenas. And lo and behold, the first show of the Dan and Shay arena tour was March 6th, 2020, which is my brother's birthday. So dude, so I'm like, you know, the first note of the first song comes in and I'm like standing side stage, just like sobbing, FaceTiming my brother on his birthday. And I was like, bro, we made it, bro. We did it. Like, it was just like one of those moments where I was like, fuck dude. Like, Where it was like one of the most visceral like accomplishments that I've ever had in my entire life. And so like that was a big one. But as far as just like good memories, dude, just like honestly, it's like the struggles become the more fun memories that you think of and and stuff like that. Like we have copious amounts of good times. You know what I mean? Like, whether it's like going to frickin' discotheques in Amsterdam, like until seven in the morning or crazy like that as i talk about being healthy um (laughs) (laughs) um, but dude it was like i think a big step was once i did get into like doing the bus stuff because i had never been on a bus until our first headliner when i had to manage one so i just like wow yeah i just stepped on a bus and i was like all right i gotta make sure this thing makes makes it around the country and like dude there are times where like we almost had the bus towed in toronto and here i am like talking to a toronto tow truck person like you you really don't have to do this like just just don't do it and like the club owner is trying to like pay off the cop and like that kind of shit and like just just things like that and dude there's another crazy story where it's it's kind of a long one but i'll try and i'll try and i'll try and consolidate it this is thanksgiving 2019 uh, and we got this offer to open for 1975 um, in, wow. in Grand Prairie, Texas. So it would have been the lot, which it. is like a what, like seven and a half thousand cap, something like that. So arguably mm-hmm. the biggest show we've ever fucking done. And, you know, arguably a band that is, you know, it was formative to like who the band Camino is. All of They all loved 1975 in their early years and still do. And so we're like, holy shit, like this is, That was one for them. We're like, holy shit, we're fucking doing. it. So we're on our way to Grand Prairie, Texas, whatever. It's like a 10 or 11 hour drive or something stupid like that. I don't remember. It's a long drive. And our bus breaks down like somewhere between Memphis and Little Rock. So we're like five and a half, six hours from Nashville. And we are still another like six hours from the greater Dallas area and it's the day before thanksgiving i believe and it's like three in the morning four in the morning i wake up at like four in the morning like we're pulled over on the side of the highway and our bus driver is like well this thing ain't starting and i'm like what what do you mean (laughs) like all right so we call our depot and they're like let's try and let's try and get you a mechanic and we're like dog it's 4 a.m. and we're an hour from the biggest major city uh it's the day before giving so nothing is fucking open and i'm like all right let's try and like figure out if we can like rent a 12 passenger van there's no rental companies within 45 minutes it's by again it's 5 a.m. now and like nobody is answering at this point you know our manager jameson is up and um we're, we're like on the phone with AEG at this point and like talking to the, the uh, TM for 1975. And we're like, yo, we might have to bail on this. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. So whatever, 6 a.m. rolls around. And um, at this point, they're the night train, I, I don't know if I'm allowed, allowed to drop the name, but like our depot, our bus company is like, we're going to send a repair unit from Nashville to you. So we're like, all right, cool. They'll be here. What? At like 2 p.m.? We're supposed to load in at one and we still have six hour drive. So without all of the technicalities and, and in specs of the situation, basically we're like, AEG is like to the point where like, we'll get you a, we'll charter a private jet for you to get here. Like you have to get here. We'll rent an entire backline. And I'm like, we can't do the show without our, I mean, we could do it without our backline, but like, we need our rack. We need our ears. We need all that shit. You know what I mean? Somewhere around like, 9 and like 11 a.m. I want to say it is um, a, a star coach, a bus is coming by and it pulls over and it wasn't a night train bus, but it turned out that bus driver knew our bus driver and our bus driver still had valid insurance with that busing company. And so we're like connecting the dots and we're like, can we put our trailer on your bus and you drive us? And we make it happen like this, this bus driver and this dude, it's crazy. It's mad. Um, It's John Cleese, the uh, Holy Grail dude, Um, the comedian, the old, old English comedian, dude. Um, And it's a star coach. So there's like a big bed in the back and like six condos up front or three condos up front or whatever it is. And we're literally sitting like ass to ass, knees to knees in the front. Like we're just like laying in in the aisle because there's no room on this bus and so it goes from what was supposed to be like an 11 a.m arrival 1 p.m load in 5 p.m sound check seven o'clock doors thing they push doors an hour we get there and we set the stage in 35 less than 30 minutes like 30 minutes like i don't want to bend the truth but legitimately it was the fastest load out or yeah load in unpack set stage line check i've ever seen ever done ever will do like we show up at seven or something like that. And we rip at seven twenty-five type shit. And then we just rip a bitch and set and, and, uh, and happy Thanksgiving. Like that, that's a story that will, I don't know if it'll ever be topped. You know what I mean? Like we literally stopped traffic on a major highway the day before Thanksgiving, pushed our dead bus by hand down the shoulder. Let this other bus back up in the right lane back into place. Hook up the trailer and then drive six hours.
1: Yo, (laughs) if you ever need to explain what being a tour manager is, it's that. That story is what being a tour manager is. Yeah, man. And like, oh my fucking God. Yeah, dude. It
0: was That's it. That's the one. That that is one of them.
1: Yeah, dude. Right? Like, because certain days it's just show up and where's the green room? And then other days it's how the fuck is this going to happen? And it's connecting all those pieces and getting everybody on board to make crazy fucking ideas like that work. And dude, I was in that. Like, I I think anybody who's toured can spiritually relate to a story like that. I'm
0: sweating thinking about it, honestly, man. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's the (laughs) Cortado that I've had, but like, oh man, that was one of the craziest moments because we truly were just like, we're fucked. Like Janice and I were like, we are so fucked. And then this bus driver just like pulls over and they're there for like 45 minutes to an hour before we're like, can you just drive us? And he was like, well, I reckon we'll have to call and see, but I reckon we could probably do something like that. And I'm like, let's go. You know what I mean? Let's
1: go, (laughs) dude. But also like you said it, it's like, even at this level now that you have this success there's plenty of fun times and things to celebrate and reminisce on, but it is kind of sometimes those struggles and those crazy stories that you look back on the fondest because yeah. it's like, what, what a unique life and what unique challenges, like that's a fun game to play. Yeah, man. And I think that like that, if I ever needed to know if you were a real one, the fact that you reflect on that now <laughs> fondly is maybe the wrong word to use, but like that, that story comes to mind. It's like, that's fucking it, yeah, dude. dude. That's it. It
0: was, it was definitely an experience. And like, I pray that I never have another like bus situation that bad. Then again, we're on our way to day one of the Dan and Shay tour this year for a rehearsal in, where was it? Somewhere in like the Carolinas and our bus broke down like just outside of Chattanooga. We were like three hours from Nashville and we lost a time. Like, like the lug nuts just like ripped off of our trailer and like it was the gnarliest flat tire i've ever seen and same kind of vibe we were like are we gonna have to rent a box truck like how are we gonna do this but lo and behold what happened was they just sent out a mechanic this dude like replaced our rotor literally replaced like our brake and rotor and whole yeah the
1: full axle thing
0: in a truck stop parking lot and we showed up to rehearsal seven hours later (laughs) whatever.
1: Dude, it's crazy. It's so crazy. But I think necessity gets you there too. Like these are things that you can't plan and you could never figure out how they're going to work. But it's like if you can dance with that unknown and that chaos and just make creativity and necessity get you through it, like that's that's so much of what it is. Another piece that I wanted to ask you about, uh, which is more about yourself, but I'm actually really interested in it because I think that this is a model now that the smart ones are uh, doing. And I think you have to be passionate about it. But not only do you have a very rad career as Band Camino's tour manager, but you did start a brand of your own. And you said that so loosely or like humbly in the beginning, <laughs> but I actually really want to talk about that because I think that figuring out little things like that um, not only represent a little bit more income, but it also represents an entrepreneurial spirit that I think carries on with people and is a great way to think about all of life. And so I'm curious of like, what your inspiration was to start that. And it's, it's, it's very well executed. That was something that I noticed right off the bat. Was, you, I was man. like, fuck, this is cool. Thank you, thank you. So like, where did that come from? And like, how, how do you do all the designs? And like, t- tell me about that. I'm genuinely interested.
0: Yeah, um, so without going too far back, just have always loved i've always had like a passion for streetwear clothing and style for the overarching term i guess we can just say and um it was another thing that was like man it'd be really cool to like have a clothing line one day or something like that and whatever and um once pandemic hit um my mentor uh irving ronk who manages uh Joe hurtler and the Rainbow Seekers. He's always had this like yeah. merchandising company, whether it was just like sourcing vendors for festivals or, or uh, facilitating printing, manufacturing, all that kind of stuff. Um, he had kind of dove in into the Shopify e-commerce stuff in like 2017, 2016, or whatever. And yeah, once pandemic hit, he hit me up and he was like, Hey man, like, do you need some extra work? And I was like, Absolutely. And so he's like, I have this Meek Mill account. Do you want to help manage Meek Mill's web store? And I was like, yeah let's fucking do it let's let's do it so yeah i was doing that and um we jumped into i was able to work on like megan the stallion store and a few other like kind of high profile clients or whatever 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 and in doing that i just kind of like had my own division in there where i was just starting to like bring in more independent acts and source different graphic designers and all this kind of stuff and i just basically learned the ins and outs of, of of like global merchandising for lack of better terms but i that's exactly what it is kind of just started like diving into learning about different blanks and just kind of seeing what my favorite t-shirt was in the world and shit like that and um i came across this one designer uh well first i came across this brand i I came across this this textile brand called everybody world which is a division that came from the split of american apparel so american apparel you know Mm. went out and it turned into los angeles apparel and it came into everybody yeah. world. And everybody world is basically the recycle recyclable, sustainable version of LA apparel, like similar cuts, similar, you know, similar fabrics, oh. all made under the same house. Basically, basically the alumni yeah. from American split into those two and they make the same thing. One is recycled cotton, one is not. I Found this company and I was like trying to pitch it to like so many artists, and they're like, Oh no, the overhead's not good enough. Like, we don't want $10 t-shirts, $14 whatever whatever and i was like all right well like if if y'all aren't going to use it i will you know and so i was like let me find something to put on this this shirt and what's cool about him is everybody world does retail they do wholesale but they also have this thing like maybe like quarterly they'll do a factory flea market where they sell a bunch of like overstock imperfect stock just random stuff and i was like i'm i'm a very like uh visceral person that's like sure I could like you, anybody can start a brand if they open a web browser, you know what I mean? But for me, I was like, I can't like put coffee in this cup unless the cup is right in front of me. You know what I mean? So I was like, let me order these random shirts and then I'll go from there. And I was like, all right, this Mm -hmm. is the color of the shirt that I have. The design has to fit this color. And um, Mm -hmm. to answer, yeah, kind of more direct of one of your questions is I basically started scrolling through this Rolodex of designers that I had used for other artists over the years and came across this girl, um, Anne Escamilla from Chicago, She's from Michigan lives in Chicago now. And I'd done a client's piece with her and like the process of working with her was just like really awesome. And I loved her work. And it was one of those things where I just kind of wanted, I, I, I knew, I knew a bunch of friends that had started doing just like artisan craft work. Over pandemic. And I was like, I now understand how to do this e-commerce, this business side of things. I, I'm creative myself, but like, I don't want to spend 10,000 hours learning how to do leather work. I don't want to spend 10,000 hours trying to like get better at graphic design when I know people that are doing exactly what I want. And what I like—that's good. Yeah, and so I was just like,
1: "That's a great point of like executive thinking too." Is like knowing your your wheelhouse and what you are a master at, and then finding and delegating the masters at other things.
0: Yeah, and yeah, I mean, dude, that's exactly that's exactly all it was, man. I just like I was like, "Hey, I want to like start this online gallery of sorts." I have this like kind of this model where like, essentially, I just wanted to implement a better sense of royalties per se, um, yeah. to graphic designers. Cause there's very few graphic oh, cool. designers or artists necessarily that get the benefit of how big a product can be. Right. And so, Oh
1: fuck, that's so true. It's always a flat, rate. Yeah.
0: You know what I mean? So I was like, yo, like let's work on, I, I, I hit up Anne and I was like, yo, let's work on like a batch of clothes I'll give you like a small flat rate up front but I will split the net with you 50/50. I'll handle all the back end, Whoa. I'll handle everything, I'll handle all of the manufacturing, I'll handle all of the financing. Like I just want you to help me come up with this products, you know these products. Wow. And um yeah, that's 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 really how it started. Is like you know, I would I have like this list, this running note in my phone of just like random crazy ideas and I'm like, I wonder if I can do that you know i wonder if i can get that done i wonder if we could make something like this or these weird graphics i was like i wonder if somebody can like get this idea out of my brain and put it on something right yeah and so um it's been really cool i've done i don't know like four or five drops at this point and yeah it's kind of a thing where like you know i'll start a, a a a file a psd file and put some slop on a thing and send it to somebody and they'll rework it. They'll send it back. I'll tweak it and send it back and shit like that. Or I, I've done like a leather drop with um, this kid, Ryan Hoger, who's the guitarist for Joe Hurtland and the Rainbow Seekers. He started doing leather work over oh. pandemic and we did like a wallet, a, a keychain, and like a, a little like desk caddy thing and just kind of things where I was like, little like essential, but functional And as sustainable as possible items was really the goal because, you know, growing up, not growing up, but like, you know, as a young adult working in retail, it was like, I had this crazy, like knowing of fast fashion and now like kind of being, you know, also having like this streetwear mindset, I, I now I'm like familiar with high fashion and I was like, yo, fuck both of those things. Like, yeah. Nobody (laughs) should pay a $1,000 for a t-shirt, but also nobody should print like 60,000 brand new t-shirts just to like make a bunch of money. And I feel like kind of like the mid ground of that could be sustainable fashion where it's like you're using recycled cotton and it's good for the earth and you're splitting, you know, your profits with the designer. You're, You're paying people that helped you know, not just like yeah. scooting by. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like imagine if the graphic designer for fucking Garth Brooks, like got royalties on every t-shirt that motherfucker sold, you know, like he wouldn't right. have to do anything for yeah. the rest of his life. But instead Garth Brooks merch manager and Garth Brooks man- manager and Garth Brooks are making millions of dollars off this merch. And who knows, maybe that graphic t-shirt designer is still living in a web one bedroom apartment or something like that.
1: You know what I mean? Dude, no facts. Yeah. So, that's, I mean, like you said that to me and I was just like, holy fuck. Like, it really is like it's such the model that i didn't even think about it and like that is kind of fucked yeah like yeah these artists get paid and like the flat fees uh, aren't even that crazy at times it's like 100 to a thousand dollars typically right. for a merch design and it's like so it's not even like you're like enough to like cash out
0: yeah i just was trying to like i i don't know like i truly don't know enough about like in my opinion, I, I could always learn more about the, the true business side of contracts and stuff, all that in music industry and royalties and all of that kind of shit. But I just know it's fucked. Right. You know, like mm-hmm. you, I live in Nashville where like songwriters are struggling to get by and, and, and the pendulum has shifted slightly over the years yes. to where people are getting, you know, more of what they're worth for their product. But I think I just like have always kind of had that headspace of just like, yo, man. Like, I hope everyone is getting what they're worth and getting paid for the work they've been doing. Um, it was also just a passion project for me, dude, where I was just like, I had the time I found, I had the resources and I was like, let's try it. You know, like, what else am I doing? Like. Uh, Why not try and put some stuff and sell it and just try?
1: I fuck with that so heavily. I had no idea. Like, I legit just saw it. I was like, "Oh, this looks cool." I had no idea that there was that much thought put into it, and (laughs) I really love that ethos behind it. Like, that's really fucking cool. Thanks,
0: man. I also like wasn't trying to make it be anything bigger than what it is, too. You know, like i'm anybody could find some capital to start a clothing company and make it big or make it look really good. I just like. You know, it was the middle of pandemic, and i have had all is well tattooed on my body for like years and years, and I was trying to find out like what I wanted the brand to be called, and I was like, well, let's just let's just call it the All Is Well Shop. You know what I mean? And yeah, like, yeah, no exactly. Further, yeah, yeah. just like <laughs> let's just call it that, and like I'm sure people could use a positive message that is also kind of cryptic and like I, I don't know. It's just like just having fun, yeah. dude. Truly, just like just having fun and trying to like work on just doing projects with my pals.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I feel like that's kind of like a through line in your story, huh? Is like quickly in your life, you were like, you know, like, let's not do the blueprint. Let's not follow just the, the copy paste path. Like let's do the fun, passionate thing. And it seems like that as your compass has taken you pretty fucking far, huh? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I mean, that's what I'm hearing. I respect the hell out of it. and It's it's really cool too. Like when doing this podcast, I literally just blindly trusted Nick. I mean, shout out Nick. Like he's the fucking dude. And at this point, anybody that he says is good people is good people. But like, it's so uh, encouraging to have conversations like this with people that I'm just now meeting and be like, oh, cool. There's still hope. Like there's still people that are out here doing it for the right reasons. And like, this is that message. And this is that thing of like, I really don't want to say that I got jaded by the music industry, but I think that the years in the game and seeing that not everyone had the right motives and intentions and some people really did just look at it of like, how can I capitalize on this and how is this a check and Mm -hmm. how can I get the most from it? So talking to people like yourself that followed passion and got this far is like, everything that i want to hear and talk about and it's such a cool example to set so fucking thank you for being so real, (laughs) dude
0: i appreciate it you seem the same way man i like we'll have to take some time and uh i'd love to hear more about your story sometime too so
1: Absolutely. absolutely next time we're in the same city together it's fucking on no doubt where can everybody find you what's like the best way for everyone to keep up with you to check out what you're up to all that good stuff yeah
0: uh instagram is is most definitely the easiest public platform that i use my instagram handle is brad brains uh so it's at underscore brad underscore brains i also yeah run the all is well shop and so that has an instagram that is the dot all is well dot shop um or the all is well if you want to go go see what some of the product looks like
1: fuck yeah (laughs) fuck yeah i love that well dude thank you so so much for doing yeah man andrew it was a pleasure So there you have it, Brad's episode. I really hope you liked that one. I I get the best feeling when I meet people for the first time and we have conversations that natural and reaffirming that there's people in it doing it for all the right reasons and with such rad outlooks and stories. So I hope you took something positive away from this episode. And if you did and you love the show and you want even more from him, There is a Patreon, patreon.com slash where are all my friends. And we did a little bonus episode as well where we talk about like favorite media. So like favorite book, favorite album or band, favorite show, favorite skate part in a video, Um, little behind the scenes stuff like that. So that bonus episode is on the Patreon right now. And if you like this episode and you want to share it on socials, that's massively helpful and always appreciated. And like I said in the intro, If you're listening to this right when it dropped, we're doing a giveaway with all as well. So if you share it and follow the brand, we're going to give some clothing away as well, which is awesome. And if you want to do me a favor and leave five stars on the Spotify app, if you're listening there, I appreciate that. It's a new feature they did. I don't want to ramble too much. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode. Later.